program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, banks and technology, big topic. Let's get started. Since the financial crisis, banks have been working harder than ever to rebuild customer trust. I know, I know, that's what it's all about in any industry, customer trust, and improve, therefore, customer relationships. Some banks are going so far as to offer interactive online communications because consumers are asking, I want to use my smartphone, I want to use my iPad, I want to do my banking where I am, when I am, my way. Thank you very much, Mr. or Ms. Bank. There was a recent survey commissioned by and conducted by SAP and the analyst firm Ovum that found many banks are seeking to leverage cloud technology to get all of this done. They want to develop their products faster. They want to simplify their operations, always a good strategy. They want to enter new markets faster. And ultimately, banks want to be more agile. And here's the key word, customer-centric. So the question on the table today is, are the banks succeeding? We have a panel of experts who are going to help us take a close look and figure out the answer to this question. First up, we're welcoming Reva Richmond. She's a senior technology editor at the Economist Intelligence Unit, known to many of you as EIU. And Reva sent me a quote from Abraham Lincoln. Isn't this an interesting juxtaposition? We're talking about banks and technology. We've got Abe Lincoln here. Uh, Welcome to Abe to the show. And here's the quote. Things may come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. I love it. Reva Richmond, welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. How are you today? I'm good, Bonnie. Thanks for joining me. Talk to me. You picked a quote from Abe Lincoln. That's an old and a new putting everything together. So talk to me about why you picked this quote and let's apply it to our topic. Go ahead, Reva. Yeah, well, I think it's a remarkably uh, modern-sounding quote. And really why I thought it was relevant to the conversation today is we are seeing powerful Internet companies jumping into financial services with products like mobile wallets and payments. Um, I would contend the banks risk being pushed to the side. Uh, they're, not, um, they're not providing um, the kind of digital services that are um, – as slick as Internet companies, and that is what our research shows consumers expect. They expect banks to provide as, as um, easy-to-use, pleasant-to-use uh, digital products as the likes of the Googles and Amazons. So um, if they wait, uh, they could be left out, um, the Internet companies being the ones who are hustling right now. 
So banks need to transform and make themselves over, would you say, Reva? They need to be like the Internet companies, like the companies that do offer a full spectrum of digital and on-demand products, companies that just say, yes, we get it, you want to be remote, you want to be on-demand, you want to be digital, and your bank will behave like that. Is that the key? Well, I mean, I think they're in there trying, but Mm -hmm. um, beautiful design, easy user user, uh, interfaces is really the domain of um, the sort of cutting-edge Internet companies right now. Uh, Can banks keep up with that? Can they match match the tech savvy of the Internet companies? I think um, that's where they need to put some focus. Thank you very much. Good intro to our topic. And joining Reva Richmond on the panel today is Daniel Mayo. He's a practice leader for Ovum's Global Financial Services Technology Team, calling us from the U.K., and we'll find out where. And here's a quote from Daniel in his own words. SAS, those of you hiding under a rock, that's capital S-A-A, lowercase capital S, SAS in enabling rapid change for incumbent banks and Leveling the playing field for smaller banks and new entrants into the industry, SAS is poised to transform the industry. The only question, says Daniel Mayo, is when will we reach this point? Daniel, welcome. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks. Um, How are you? Well, thank you for joining us. Where are you calling from in the UK, Daniel? Uh, From London. Okay, uh, and we'll talk... We'll talk a little more about the weather later. Daniel, interesting quote about SAS. Is SAS the answer to this problem for banks? I certainly think it's a step in the right direction. I think it's changing quite a a bit of the landscape, and I think over the next five years you're really going to see this. I think banks to degree have been protected by the fact banking traditionally has needed a large banking network and an investment in a large technology platform to support what a bank does. Uh, but with uh, SaaS uh, Software as a Service, uh, you now have the potential to, for new entrants to very quickly enter into a market. Uh, and as we talked about earlier, with a focus now on the digital channels being the main channels, uh, actually a new entrance can focus on, on the, the digital space uh, and moving far quicker, um, bringing in a lot of the and expertise that we've been talking about from the internet companies, uh, which will really allow them to take market share from some of the traditional players. Daniel, I have a question for you. Buried in your quote in the middle here, you talk about smaller banks and new entrants, and I will ask this very naive question. Are there really new entrants in this era of still recovering from the financial crisis and all of the the growth that needs to happen in the banking world to meet consumer demand? Who is brave enough to enter the field now? Just a couple of thoughts on your Ovum research, perhaps? Well, quite a lot, actually. So certainly if you hmm. look at the UK example, uh, as an example here, uh, I know the, the banking regulators at the moment, they've got a queue of around about 30 banks that are applying for banking licenses at the moment. So certainly there's a number of markets out there around the world where actually you have quite a concentrated banking market. Uh, and actually I think there is a realisation that a lot of consumers are unhappy with the, the kind of the main kind of high street banks, uh, and actually there is an appetite for change. I, mean, I think in the first instance, banks will be focused on kind of targeting certain niches and exploiting kind of gaps in the market. But over the longer term, I, I think they'll get far broader than that. 
Very interesting. Thank you. The land of the free and the home of the brave. Not quite so free there. Thank you, Daniel. Good to know there are new entrants, and I wonder if, if they are going to trump the older banks that are trying so hard to be transformed. We have a lot to talk about during the show, and thank you. And rounding out our panel is Falk Rieker. He is a global head of banking business unit at SAP. And here's an interesting quote from Falk. Adapt or die. Aha, we want to put that on the side of a wall, Falk. Banking is undergoing a massive, rapid transformation that is technology-led and enabled. Welcome, Falk. Join us, please. Tell me about your quote. Good morning, Bonnie. Good morning. So, um, uh, regarding the quote, uh, let me put it that way. Uh, let's face it, the traditional banking model, as we know it from the past, uh, is a dying breed. Uh, banks must transform into the digital aid, similar to what Riva mentioned earlier. And uh, to illustrate that, uh, let me talk about my travel schedule this uh, this week. Okay. So, <laughs> and uh, it gives you a bit of an indication what I what I mean by new entrants transforming into the digital age. So uh, Monday, I met with a telco company who wants to enter the financial services business. Tuesday, I met with a high tech and retail company. That want to, or oh, that have handled already the financial service space very successfully. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, I will meet with a micro lender, uh, um, uh, which focusing on on micro loans, helping uh, micro businesses really to prosper. Uh, a segment that the traditional banks haven't served in the past. And by the way, then on Thursday, I finally meet a bank. Wow. Wow. Busy. So what's, what's the bottom line? What do you make of all this? Well, the bottom line is that uh, financial services is needed, but banks in the traditional way not necessarily. So banks need to adapt or they die. Do the banks get that, Falk? Do they understand that? Is there, is there handwriting on the wall, adapt or die? Is this something that the biggest banks say, yeah, 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 we know we're working on it? Are they saying, we're, we're just going to keep doing things our way? Is, is there a little bit of, of everything across the spectrum? Do some banks think they can continue to do it the old way and others are just saying, wow, we have to put all of our effort, our money, our people, our energy into transformation? What do you see? I would say to a large majority to the banks I speak to, they get it. They need, uh, they need to change. Uh, the challenge they face is their existing environment. Um, mm-hmm. I compare it with a spider web. Yeah? It's extremely complex, heterogeneous technology, thousands of applications. If you want to drive in that ki- uh, change in that kind of environment, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a difficult task. Okay. I'm going to give you all a difficult task now. I hope it's not too difficult because this is Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. And you know the drill. I prepared all of you. I want to know what's in your cup. What are you drinking right now? Or what are you looking forward to drinking after the show? Or what's the best something you ever drank? Let's circle back to Reva Richmond at the EIU Economist Intelligence Unit. Reva, what are you drinking? Coffee, of course. Um it's a Caribbean surfer's blend uh, with cream and cane sugar. And I'm my, assuming it's yeah. high, high in my, test? In my <laughs> non-work life, I surf at Rockaway Beach. You do? Really? He, Rockaway Beach like the one here on Long Island, or are you somewhere else? The one right under JFK Airport. 
Oh, my goodness. I'm on the North Shore of Long Island on the Gold Coast. We'll come down and watch you surfing one of these days. <laughs> Interesting. I'm assuming your coffee has lots of caffeine in it, Reva, yes? Oh, it does, for sure. Okay. Full, full Call force. that High test. Thank you very much. Daniel Mayo calling from rainy London. What's in your cup or what are you thinking about drinking later? Daniel? Uh, well, certainly coming from the UK, is it's going to be alcoholic, I'm afraid. Um, I certainly <laughs> am looking forward to a, an old speckled hen uh, later on this evening, which is a, a traditional English craft ale, uh, very malty, uh, very smooth on the palate. And uh, um, certainly one of the, the, uh, the finer ales you will find in the UK at the moment. Old speckled hen. I'm going to have to tweet that during the break. I love that. What does it taste like? Does it have any characteristic notes or flavors, Daniel? Uh, it's, it's kind of a, quite a rich malty taste um, with kind of a, a kind of fruity aroma with it. So it, it, it is certainly not the kind of most off-the-wall one, but it's quite a balanced beer, I, I think, overall. Uh, and actually it's become quite popular now, and I think they even export it to the U.S. now, so you, you may be able to get your hands on one. Okay, well, we're going to see if we can get anybody to talk to us about that on Twitter. By the way, we're tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio. Anybody want to join the Twitter party here, capturing our guest words of wisdom and some of the notes they sent us before the show. Thank you very much, Daniel. And Falkreaker, not to leave you out in the cold here, what are you drinking today? Yeah, I'm drinking, and I do that every single day. There's one procedure I cannot give up, and that's uh, my early morning tea. So it's uh, normally an Earl Grey tea with uh, with, big, uh, with sugar and, and milk. Okay, that sounds good. And, and I know some Earl Grey tea, Falk, has a, a little bit of, I'm trying to think of a lavender note to it, some lavender in it, and yeah, other yeah. very, you, you, is that the kind you have? You know there are hundreds of different sorts of Earl Grey, so don't don't try try to ask me what I'm drinking this morning. I just took <laughs> one bag and that's. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, panelists. Guess what? We're going to take our first break. Just about quarter after. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Our topic today, if you haven't guessed, is financial fast forward. Defining a best practice bank. Which banks get it? Which don't? Which are able to do this transformation seamlessly? Who's grabbing onto the cloud? Who's using SaaS? Who's leveraging all the great technology that's out there to meet consumer demand, to rekindle customer trust, and improve customer relationships? That's really the bottom line. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network
You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and our topic of the day is financial fast-forward, defining a best-practice bank. And I have a quick note here from my colleague at SAP, Malcolm Kimberlin, and he says he's faster than a speeding bullet today, powered by Phil's Coffee to Sora. And Malcolm likes to say it's thick as mud and black as a moonless night. How poetic. Thank you, Malcolm, very much. Just rounding out our coffee break. And I'm drinking water, of course. They don't let me have caffeine on show days. I still wonder why. Let's kick off our roundtable. We're going to go for a full 30 minutes nonstop with Reva Richmond's going to start us off. She's a New York-based senior technology editor at the Economist Intelligence Unit. Reva has some great statistics and research information to share with us. Let me just kick off with a statement Reva sent me before the show. She says mobile will become a significantly more important channel for retail banking in the next five years. Great start. Reva Richmond, why don't you give us some good numbers? Talk to me. Yeah, well, as anyone uh, who has witnessed the rows of mesmerized computers on um, sorry, commuters on their trains and planes. Um, mobile devices are central to our lives. We are, it's how we're interacting with each other, with businesses, you know, and banking, it's not any different. Um, or certainly consumers expect that. And uh, we, we did a survey recently, um, and it found that um, in the net, that Five years from now, bankers believe that 30% of interactions with their banks will come on mobile devices, up from just 12% now, um, and it's going to take share mostly from branches and ATMs. They now get more than half share, um, and they will drop down to about 35%. So, um, so uh, and, you know, a lot of this is being driven by... Um, younger consumers um, and consumers around the world who are um, very mobile savvy. And uh, so this is going to be a vital channel. Banks will have to be there. In our uh, executive survey um, of bankers, we found that 82% agree or agree strongly that in the next five years, mobile is going to become the number one channel for millennials and younger consumers. And of course, those are banks' future customers. So um, it's just going to be a vital place to be. Reva, if we look at a lot of the, the recent television ads, they show people doing something with mobile banking while they're online waiting at a retail store, while they're waiting to get their haircut, while they're online at the grocery store. So this is very much a trend that, that uh, the, the banks that get it are trying to say, ha, we're here, we offer this, look at us. But I want to add one more thing before we move on and have Daniel join this conversation, Reva. You also note that branches and ATMs will not be going away. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you found, and then we'll have Daniel comment on all of this. Go ahead, Reva. Well, that's right. Our, um, our survey showed that there's going to be a really quite um, broad distribution of activities. Um, so folks like you and I, you know, one minute we'll be using our mobile device, then we'll be on the web interacting with our bank. We might walk into a branch and expect someone to help us out there. So consumers just expect now 
to be able to um, go from one place to the other and have it all work seamlessly. So that's going to be a real challenge for banks. Um, we found that only 15% of the bankers that we surveyed said that their channels are all completely integrated. So there's a lot of work to do there, um, but it's going to be uh, what people like to call an omni-channel world. The banks will have to be on mobile. They'll have to be on the web, in branches, ATMs. Um, we're seeing them in retail settings. Um, they need to be where consumers are, and that's a lot of different places. Thank you very much, Reva. Daniel Mayo at Ovum, I know you have some thoughts and probably some research on this. What do you observe about what Reva introduced to us? Well, it's something we've definitely seen as well. And I think the interesting thing is for a lot of banks, they've, they've almost been quite surprised how quickly it's occurred. Um, one of the interesting things, if you've uh, been following the, the financial reporting season for our banks this year, across both sides of the Atlantic, it's actually one of the things you will notice that apparently every CAIO is now talking about well, how many mobile banking customers do we have, how many transactions are going through that channel. Uh, and one of the things, even though a number of banks have only really been pushing this for a couple of years now, is that the transaction growth has been exponentially kind of growing in that channel. Uh, and most banks are realizing, yes, it is going to become the primary channel because actually people are interacting with their mobile banking app daily versus kind of maybe uh, once or twice every couple of couple of months with the branch or even kind of with the ATM. So it is a dramatic shift. And I, I think banks are only just starting to work through the implications of what this actually means for their business model. Thank you very much, Daniel. Falk Rieker, join us. What do you think? Yeah, I absolutely agree with, uh, uh, with what uh, Riva pointed out. Uh, I see that trend uh, going to mobile devices all over the world, and the adoption of the smartphone, I think, is the big game changer. When I look back about three or four years when we discussed the topic of mobile banking with banks, I said, yes, we need to have it. There are some customers that ask us for it, and we don't want to lose them. But in the meanwhile, they have significant volumes. So that's that's the main difference. Uh, we're seeing more and more transactions going into into the mobile channel and online channel, from the traditional branch and ATM, um, especially when you look at uh, some of the emerging markets as well. And that's interesting, this, uh, this trend to mobile is really led uh, via the emerging markets. And they are jumping a whole generation. They are going right away. They don't have online anymore. They're going right into mobile because that's the primary device. And that's where banks need to be. If they are not on the mobile device, they lose business. And so that's where it is. Pick uh, up on that, Bonnie. Yeah, please, go ahead. Sorry, so Bonnie, just to pick up, I mean, I, I think that, that point is a great one there from uh, Folk in terms of actually when I've been out in kind of Indonesia and Malaysia and Singapore and Hong Kong, when you speak to banks, one of the things they realize is there's why a consumer chooses a bank. Obviously, pricing has some impact on it, but actually the quality of the mobile banking app is one of the, the things that people actually use to decide whether they go with a particular institution or not. Uh, so to that degree, it's, it's become a core part of the value proposition in, in a way it wasn't kind of two or three years ago. So if that's I'd a like different to jump in with yeah. a question myself of, of yeah. the other guests. I mean, one of the things that we've been wondering is um, whether you know mobile helps open up some new markets in developing countries among the underbanked and the unbanked, mm-hmm. and I. Um, um, I wonder if the other guests know. 
the answer. Mm -hmm. Great question, Reva. Daniel, yeah. any thoughts from Obam or Falk from SAP? Uh, if I can jump in here, we have an initiative uh, around financial inclusion, and I just worked with the World Economic Forum uh, two weeks ago in Mexico on this topic. And uh, uh, you're right. Uh, the ability to uh, process and interact via digital channel, in this case the mobile channel, uh, brings down costs. So we are now, banks are now in a position uh, to serve customers that uh, make you know, less than $3 a day. Yeah, so, mm. and uh, you can imagine that uh, these customers uh, don't want to pay any fees when they do a banking transaction. So what you need to have is a very efficient model to serve those customers. Otherwise, uh, it's not profitable. And that's where the mobile technology and, by the way, the cloud technology are a big game changer. Good point. Reva, yeah, I mean, good I, question. I Thank you. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Daniel. It yeah, I mean, I say that that's definitely something we've seen as well, actually, because actually in a lot of these channels, the, the primary kind of connectivity to the Internet is actually through the mobile device rather than through your kind of PC that you, you often have in the in developed markets. So actually for a lot of banks in these markets, they start with the mobile and actually now we're seeing them catch up with the online banking side of things. So almost the reverse of what we've seen. And actually if you're looking to do a model that is kind of servicing the micro finance or micro lending area, you need a very cheap, low cost platform. Uh, and mm -hmm. we'll come on to SaaS later. But actually, this is a perfect example. Actually, you can have a platform that is very low cost. It's unit based pricing uh, and is almost perfect to allow you to tap into markets that the larger banks are just too expensive to be able to service profitably. Thank you, Daniel. I'm going to use this as a good segue to move into some of the notes you sent me before the show. I think it's time to talk about the cloud. You say among retail banks and insurers, the use of cloud services is commonplace. Almost universally across all regions and tiers of institution, the use of cloud computing in the form of SaaS and on the infrastructure side account for an important share of IT spending and look like they're going to increase. Without getting too deeply into the weeds here, why don't you take us through this point so that our listeners can understand how SaaS is playing a major role here in cloud services? Well, I mean, I guess the, a little bit of context is worth um, providing here. Just in terms of if you spoke to most institutions two or three years ago, as soon as you mentioned the word cloud, it was a kind of, no, we've got compliance, we've got data privacy concerns, mm -hmm. and almost the conversation was shut down. And actually here we are kind of three or four years later, and actually when we did this survey, we were looking at their budget, and actually virtually every institution was making some use of SaaS or infrastructure as a service to some degree, and it's moved to the point actually institutions are saying, well, should we be thinking about cloud to actually yes, we are using cloud is now part of our mainstream sourcing strategy. Uh, and similar to mobile to some degree, this is a change that's kind of really taken place within two or three years, which in banking terms is tremendously quick. Um, so I think we are seeing changes, uh, and I think this is something that the, that the sector is definitely starting to get to grips with. Thank you very much. Uh, Falk Rieker, you want to join in? What's your observation? Yeah. Uh, when, when I think about uh, how this discussion evolved uh, on around cloud, I, I would say it, it's positively shocking. Yeah? So two years ago, um, a banker told me, no way. Yeah? Uh, we have our own data centers, and they are more secure than anything else in the market. So last year, I would say most of them said, oh, maybe, potentially. And this year, absolutely. Yeah, must be part of our strategy. Tell me what you have. 
so you know that the speed of uh, how the mindset has changed around leveraging cloud uh, platforms, cloud technology in general, software as a service, uh, and not just in the U.S., but really around the globe, uh, is for me probably the biggest surprise I've seen in the last decade in financial services. Reva, any thoughts on this? Uh, sure. Um, I think the thing that I'd like to to sort of talk about is, yes, now it's becoming accepted, the cloud, um, that it provides efficiency, ease of use for employees, it provides very immediate scalability so um, companies can um, expand uh, at, at, at whatever rate they want to. Um, so a lot of these kind of benefits are quite accepted now. Um, I think the next thing to focus on or the next area for cloud is really all about, you know, generating business opportunity and generating growth. So it's not just about cost savings and efficiency and sort of working better, but also um, new businesses and new um, uh, opportunities, especially on digital platforms. Um, and this is probably applies to banks as well as to uh, pretty much every other industry out there. Okay, thank you very much. And I have a question for the panel. As banks look at needing to work on the, as Reva said, the branches aren't going away, the ATMs aren't going away, the customers who are not digitally astute, who don't care about mobile, they still expect to walk in and get services. They still expect banking hours. Big Reva knows this from the banking ads on New York TV, OMG, we're open on Sunday, we're open till 5 o'clock on Saturday, come into your local branch, we're here to serve you. They still expect that. So my question to the panel, we can start with Reva, is how do banks balance or how should they balance this cost-effectiveness of keeping the face-to-face -face customer service going so that the branches is equipped and it's staffed and the services are there and everybody behind the counter knows what the products are and serves the customer well. At the same time, right outside the window is walking somebody with the latest whatever smartphone and they're tapping their deposits and they're checking their, they're checking their balances. So you, you basically, within inches of each other or feet of each other or yards, you have customers demanding all ends of the spectrum in terms of service. So how, do, how should banks be balancing their investment of people, of energy, of money? Uh, Reva, any thoughts on this? And then we'll go down the line. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, a lot of banks are seeing the key as um, they want to push as much as possible the low-value transactions to mobile, um, uh, you know, checking count balances, uh, things like that. And then really use, um, use the branches for selling the higher value services like loans and so on. Branches are expensive to operate, much more expensive mm -hmm. than, uh, mobile. So, um, you know, they, they're looking for sort of a balance while at the same time using, um, the web and mobile as a way to educate consumers and customers about the various services that they offer and try to sell them those, those more valuable um, products. Uh, but when they come into the branch, they want to talk to a human being probably. So, um, and, and banks need to um, be able to provide that as well as the sort of automated self-serve 
um, technologies, but I think it's probably will be a balance. Good, good point. Daniel, thoughts? Daniel Mayo at Ovum, what are you seeing? Yeah, so I, I would agree with Reva that most banks are definitely pushing an omni-channel strategy. Um, I think one of the things we've seen, though, speaking with banks, is actually what is the role of the branch. Is something actually a lot of institutions don't really fully understand or understand the implications of digital themselves, and it's a question they're very much wrestling with because they, they realise they need to provide some services, but they realise also that the current model is, is actually unsustainable and certainly this side of the Atlantic, you're starting to see some banks do announce some fairly major rationalization programs of their branch uh, branch networks. So what I think what you're seeing, uh, as we were saying, is actually the role of the branch is changing. So a lot of mm-hmm. those uh, routine transactions, you try and use self-service kiosks, use the digital channels, and then enable it to be more of a sales and service, move it more into the advisory side of things where you can actually add value at the same time, you're probably looking to reduce the size of your branch, have less staff, uh, look at ways of actually improving employee productivity, also improving the customer experience in the branch because we talk about the importance of customer service and experience mm-hmm. with the digital channels, but actually you need to make sure that your other channels match that as well because otherwise you, you can start to raise expectations, but then you don't fulfill it right across the, the entire network. Great point. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. Falk Rieker, join us. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, most, of, uh, most of it is already said to that topic. Um, I think the only advice I would give banks, take a look at the retail industry. They have gone through that uh, uh, over, over the past decades already, and uh, banks can learn a lot from the retail industry. Thank you very much. You know what? I want to go into a slightly different direction here. We have so much to cover, a lot of great notes from my guests before the show, and I want to make sure we do. We pay respect to all of these. Falk Rieker at SAP, uh, we've already talked a lot about customer centricity and responding to feedback. We've, we're trying to balance out the investment infrastructure in terms of what's the payoff of keeping well-staffed branches, ATMs, of course we want that money in the ATM when we want that money, and the move toward mobile. Let's talk about regulation. Um, I'm reading your notes here, Falk, and you say regulation as a means for innovation. A best practice bank takes the recent regulatory amendments as an inducement to overcome existing bottlenecks in their present IT infrastructure. I'm just going to stop there and let you explain this. So what do you see as really regulation as a means for innovation? Uh, Talk to us. What does this mean, Falk? Sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? It sure does. <laughs> yeah, what I mean by that? Um, uh, let's take uh, uh, Basel II, uh, which uh, was uh, uh, which is a regulation to uh, better manage uh, and uh, measure credit risk in banks, which obviously, as we know, is an important topic. Uh, so now you could look at this uh, new Basel II. You can take Basel III as well. You can take this as a burden, develop an additional silo workaround, or you say, you know what, I'm not looking only at the regulator. I look at the internal side as well, how I manage my business. And by the way, I need similar measures to manage my internal, uh, how, I'm, uh, how I manage my bank internally. So taking these regulations as an opportunity to review your data structure to review what you have in the finance and risk department to create more transparency, to have more real-time data, to have better quality data, I think uh, is something banks need to consider, rather than just always 
do an additional um, um, uh, patchwork yeah, to the existing mm -hmm. heterogeneous landscape, which uh, makes it even more complex. So um, our regulation is an opportunity. I like that. I think banks like that, too. I'm not sure they all see that, but certainly if they're listening, they might have some hope here. Reva Richmond, any thoughts on regulation? Is that in your, your purview? Well, not so much, um, but one of my sort of areas of uh, interest is security, and, and maybe the mm -hmm. other guests can help comment on this. Banks do um, are sort of heavily regulated in terms of um, the requirements around uh, protecting consumer data. Um, and banks are trusted. Our um, survey of consumers showed that they do largely trust uh, banks with their information. Um, is there an innovation opportunity there? I'll ask that for Daniel Mayo at Ovum. Daniel, thoughts on Reva's question? Security? Um, there certainly is. I mean, I think one of the potential opportunities is really around some of the identification that is needed in a lot of the, the digital commerce world and, and actually theoretically banks um, they already play quite a strong role on the payment side of things they're able to say this consumer is who they say they are it is something that could be quite valuable I mean the, the chance for banks is, is actually that stepping quite a bit outside their comfort zone um, but actually if banks want to continue to play in the payment space it's maybe something they, they would need to consider so, actually, I fully agree there. I'm just wondering, actually, whether there's that many banks that are ready to make that leap. Falk Rieker, what do you think? Yeah, I think Riva has a good point. Uh, banks need to make up their minds uh, about uh, future revenue sources. And uh, let's face it, uh, there is hardly anyone that has more data about you than your bank. So they should have not only about you, but uh, about your family, yeah? uh, information which uh, a retailer or a telco company or others don't have. So logically, they have a competitive advantage in that space. So I know there are some regulation and they, they vary from country to country, but we are seeing banks more and more going into the information and data business. A um, large uh, British bank has made it public that they are selling uh, now data. So this is anonymous data, which they slice and dice, and which they provide to other industries so that they can serve certain segments in the retail business better. And uh, I think banks have, uh, have all, the, all the tools and techniques that are necessary, really, to get all the intelligence out of the data. Thank you, Falk. I want to go in a slightly different direction. Anybody else have anything on security and regulation before I move on? Reva, you good? Daniel, you good? Falk? Yeah, no, that's fine. Okay, good. I'm looking at Reva's notes here. An interesting point. We're talking about a best practice bank, banks moving into the future, banks surviving basically, and the new entrants in the field, why and how will they make a living. Uh, Reva says banks aren't really playing in the personal finance game. There are popular apps for that, but they're not offered by banks. And she adds, consumers are skeptical that banks can help them with the advice they feel they need the most. And here's the bottom line. How do I better manage my money and spend it more wisely? Is this the role of the future bank. Reva, why don't you start this and then we'll have Daniel and Falk join in. Right. Well, um, we know that uh, consumers are um, embracing uh, embracing apps from the likes of, of Mint and um, Level Money. These are not areas, however, where they are looking to their banks. Um, our survey showed that um, 
that large con- numbers of consumers do want help from their banks on how they manage, mm-hmm. spend, earn, save, and invest their money. However, um, in general, the more they think they need improvement in something, the less they think their banks can help them. So they most want help with managing money, budgeting, that sort of stuff, and spending, making wise decisions, but they don't think banks can help them that much. Um, In the areas of saving and investing, they do think banks can be very helpful, but they don't think they need as much help there. So there's a bit of a conundrum going on, um, and I think that uh, there is really an opportunity um, Everybody needs help, feels like they need help with money and managing money better and um, uh, help with their financial lives. It's all very con- confusing to most people. Um, and, you know, banks have this expertise, but it's not really something where they're offering compelling sort of consumer products. But if they did, you know, I, I think maybe that would be an opportunity for them to help develop kind of a new relationship of being an advisor, not just the place that holds your money, but the place that helps you sort of make better use of your money. Um, But they're not exactly offering sort of compelling tools for consumers at this point. Um, And I just think that that could be an interesting opportunity. Thank you, Reva. I'm just going to make a, an anecdotal side note here. Uh, I recently learned that very close to me, Reva, here in my North Shore, Long Island community, the brokerage I use, quote unquote, as my bank, my checking account, and all my savings are there. They have a retail branch, and it's open till two o'clock on Saturdays. And I had a check I wanted to deposit into that brokerage account. I went in there. They had coffee. They had tea. They greeted me. They asked me how they could help me. They took my deposit. They filled out the deposit slip for me. It was like, I'm sorry, the best bank experience I ever had. But it wasn't at a bank, so there. So that's there. There's a little competitive there. Uh, Daniel Mayo, why don't you talk about what Reva's talking about in terms of banks? How much are they supposed to be there for us with all of our financially related needs? What is your observation from Ovum? Well, it's, it's an interesting area, and I think it's one that probably varies quite a bit around the world, uh, largely because you know, it's banked in some kind of countries. They're trusted in the respect of kind of your money's going to be safe with them, but. There's often been issues in terms of mis-selling scandals and concern mm-hmm. that actually are banks actually acting in the interest of the consumers or they're acting in their own interests when they're giving advice. And I think part of the challenge that banks have is they're trusted in some respects, but in terms of being an impartial person to actually provide the best advice is not always the case. Um, that said, I think actually some of this personal financial management type tools is a good way to, for actually banks to actually address some of the trust issues that have arisen since the financial crisis. The, the challenge really is actually to do that, you need to kind of provide a complete picture of the finances back to the consumer. And banks do tend to operate in a very siloed manner. And actually their ability to kind of do this effectively is often a lot harder than it should be because of some of the issues they have with their back-end systems. Okay. Falk Rieker, thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a perfect example where banks have missed uh, an industry trend. And it's, it's kind of sad, you know, that uh, uh, the social media or companies like Mint.com have to come up with this kind of innovation because uh, banks are in the tribal seat here. They offer exactly that services for high net worth individuals. They just missed it to offer 
a light version of that to, to the consumer space. So all of a sudden, they missed the whole market segment. Now they are trying to catch up. Yeah? I had this exactly discussion with two banks over the last four weeks that uh, try to make use from, from the retail side, having a checking account. How can they now uh, extend their services to offer personal finance management and then even evolve these customers over time into a wealth management customer? Yeah, but, you know, why does it take Mint.com to, to get there? So that's why I don't get. So the, the, for me, the conclusion is banks have to go closer to their customer. Yeah, they need to go to the customer. They need to be like a retailer. It cannot be that, you know, they wait until the customer comes to the bank. Banks need to go to the customer, need to be at, at the market. Thank you very much, Falk. I'm going to ask you, uh, did somebody else have a comment? Reva, did I hear you? Are you good? I'm good. Okay, uh, a quick question. We're going to go to break in about two minutes here. But uh, one question, we haven't talked about customer feedback as a means to gaining trust. And I'm, I'm reading from your notes here, Falk. You say uh, people with, within a best practice bank are keen listeners and attentive observers when it comes to identifying customer needs and wishes. So whose role is it in the bank today? And we'll quickly go around the table. Then we're going to take a break and go to predictions. Whose role is it to be that keen listener and attentive observer? Is it the person at the branch, whatever's left of the branch? Is it the person watching social media and saying, OMG, our app isn't working well enough, or somebody got stuck on a, a digital transaction and they're upset with us? Whose job is that today? Falk and then Reva and then Daniel. Falk, go ahead. So everyone needs to have the customer in mind first. So that's not different to, to my business I'm in, and that's the same for banks. So if you don't have the customer-centric thinking, and that's maybe one of the big things banks need to change. They are not in the market just to produce products. No, they are in the market to serve the customer. And so what you said about the employee in the branch, uh, what you uh, can say about a call center employee, um, um, you know, everyone who touches the customer needs to have the customer in mind first, um, especially in an omni-channel world. Yeah, that needs to work across the channels. There needs to be real-time information across the channel so that I, as a customer, don't have to tell my problem four or five times in a row. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Reva Richmond, thoughts on that? Agree, disagree? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, one trend that we are seeing out in um, across industry is that there is this new effort to um, to listen, to become a kind of a social business. And many companies now have uh, social tools internally where they can gather that kind of feedback and share it internally so that it can inform, you know, product development, uh, improve, you know, sort of feedback that improves customer service or uh, you know, sort of addresses any kind of business problem that comes up. I think the the idea is that you know many heads are better than one. Um, everybody listening and funneling in um, ideas through some kind of central system where it can be sort of acted upon in a larger sense. So um, so yeah, I think uh, increasingly. I mean, also here at uh, the Economist, we're now using Google Plus to share information internally across different business units. 
um, and share good ideas of how to sort of improve what we do. So I think a lot of companies are kind of looking to do that, and it's part of um, it's getting feedback from the outside. It's also gathering feedback from um, the from insiders uh, in order to sort of better the business. Thank you, Daniel Mayo. Thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things is perhaps a slightly more strategic question at the end of this is banks often talk about customer centricity um, but actually for many banks the the talk is is far more detailed than the actual walk so they may have a a focus on the front office do some customer satisfaction surveys but it doesn't really extend much beyond that and if you if you have kind of staff that are incentivized by the number of sales or um, kind of very operational efficiency driven metrics um, but don't have them kind of incentivized or targeted around customer satisfaction and servicing the customer, you'll get the behavior that you target. And I, I think to some degree, banks kind of talk a lot about customer centricity, but they're guilty really about not really pushing that right the way through the organization. So I think you do need these feedback mechanisms, but actually you need the structure and the processes to actually be able to make use of them and uh, incentivize the right behavior. Thank you very much. All good, thoughtful answers. Guess what? We talked so long, we're going to skip the last break. And I know that you've all gone out to somewhere. I like to say Riva the boat shed or wherever you keep your surfboard or the attic or the back of the car. And you all washed off, polished off the crystal ball because you know what's next. It's our predictions round. So I'm going to pose this question to the whole panel. And I can give you each about a minute and a half. Please use that time, either wrap up and or combine it with your predictions. So Riva Richmond, if we Fast forwarded to the year 2020, can you see that year clearly in the crystal ball? What would you be saying about defining a best practice bank, banks seeing into the future and wanting to make themselves more trustworthy, more trusted, more customer-centric in the best possible way in the next couple of years? How far in the future can you see, Reva, and tell me what you see? Well, technology is changing so quickly. Anybody who would try to predict a 2020 would just be foolish, really. Um, uh, you know, I think we can look a few years ahead. Um, I, I've already offered a few predictions, which is mm-hmm. that mobile is going to become significantly more important, um, that branches and ATMs won't be going away, um, that, um, you know, and and I, I sort of talked about this personal finance area, I think, um, and the sort of the payment space. And I think the big risk for banks being sort of disintermediation by the Internet companies and those who come in with, uh, with uh, mobile wallets and payments. And I think we've talked about how well-placed banks are to play in that area, but I would sort of predict that they won't quite get there. I think that the uh, Internet companies are more nimble and um, and the new entrants coming there and that uh, banks are big and s- slow, although they've been trying to speed up. Um, I-, I think that they're going to really struggle there. You do. Okay. Thank you. Doesn't mean predictions don't always have to be rosy ones, do they? Let's move to Daniel Mayo at Ovum. Daniel, predictions, what do you see? Well, I think actually the next five years you're going to see a greater polarization in the market between the winners and losers. And I think one of the things that you'll see is actually banks that really get the impact of digital 
and are able to provide this strong customer experience that is optimised for the digital world are, are really going to kind of gain quite significant market share. I mean, certainly in a number of markets around the world where other banking sector is quite concentrated, banks have kind of got away with providing poor service by the fact that all banks have provided all poor service. So there hasn't ah. been a feeling, actually, if I change provider, there's going to result in a difference. But as you start to see either new entrants or some banks actually I- embrace this, I think those that are the have-nots in the digital world are, are actually going to have significant issues. Um, and actually, almost there's a kind of window of opportunity that is, that is shutting pretty fast here. So unless you can get your stuff together within the next kind of two to three years, I think looking five years down the line, you're going to be in quite a sticky situation. Wow. Wow, thank you very much. That's interesting. I don't hear a lot of optimism there. I hear a lot of warnings there, though. Very, very interesting. Falk, Rieker at SAP. What do you see? Why don't take, a, take a full two minutes, and we'll probably have a bonus question and go back through the panel. So, Falk, what do you see? Yeah, first of all, uh, in addition to what, uh, what Daniel said, uh, it, it's not just a warning. Yeah? It, it's for the consumer. It's opportunity as well, because I believe there will be a more rich offering in future how to consume banking service than you have today. So that's good news. Yeah? In terms mm-hmm. of prediction, Bonnie, I believe the best retail bank in 2020 will not be a bank. So Okay, that's provocative. Yeah, what will it be? I will believe that new entrants will be very aggressive in that space. They... They leverage their, their know-how and customer experience and how to interact with customers in the digital age. And uh, they are coming either from the telco side, they might come from the retail side, or from the high-tech side, and uh, just add classical banking service, retail banking service to their offering. And uh, they, will, they will adopt new customers very quickly. You have seen what Walmart has done. You have seen what Apple is doing. So these are just two examples, yeah, which we will see many, many more in the near future. And again, for the consumer, that's very positive. Very interesting. Okay, I have, thank you very much. Uh, we've got three minutes till the end. I need one minute to close. I'm going to circle back through the panel and ask you a quick question. Uh, on a lot of our shows, we talk about the fact that we've got four generations of workers working side by side in almost every industry today. And we very often talk about the millennials. Even the millennials hate to be called millennials. But what can I tell you? We've spoken to them on SAB radio. So my question is, will you see an influx of millennials into the banking industry as such, if we still have a banking industry, Falk Rieger, uh, in the next five years, do you think the millennials will change the game because they care about digital, they care about mobile, and it's super important to them to be flexible and on the go with their banking, and they will have a lot of money to spend and save. So, Reva, do you see millennials either entering the banking field as workers, as a banking workforce, or basically overtaking customer demand? What do you see? Quickly, give me about a 20-second answer. Well, I think probably both. Um, it's a big generation, so they're up to uh, make their uh, make themselves felt in every industry. Um, and being um, uh, digital natives, as they're often called, um, they expect to use um, powerful, um, simple technologies uh, at work. That you know the same 
same type of technologies that they have at home. They expect to be able to be social just like they are at home and, and use all of these tools. And they will probably help shift um, their companies that way. Um, I think the question will be, can, will banking be able to embrace the challenge that they bring and the, and the ideas that they have? Um, Reva, I have to cut you off because I've got the minute to close. Thank you very much. Just okay. quickly, Daniel, millennials coming into banking, making a big change, yes or no? I would say I would just disagree, Sally. I think perhaps slightly not, actually. Uh, I, okay. I think they will create some pressure, but the, the, the issue is actually um, the compliance uh, and controls that banks need to impose. So uh, I, I think it's going to be a lot harder than people expect. Okay, Falk, excuse me, I'm out of time. We'll get your answer on. Tweet it, please. Uh, I'm Bonnie DeGram. Special thank you to Reva Richmond at the EIU, Daniel Mayo at Ovum, Falk Reeker at SAP. And a shout-out to our good friend at SAP, Birgit Dolny, for putting together this wonderful panel and great topic. Shout-out to my colleague Malcolm Kimberlin, also at SAP, Brad and the Business Channel team. Today's Wednesday, doubleheader day. I'll be back with the Customer Edge with Game Changers today, 3 p.m. Eastern. You don't want to miss that. Of course, we're here on the Business Channel. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? On the way to the bank, go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.